today on the Jay Doherty Podcast. We first traveled to 2020 Candidate Land, an interesting conglomerate of White House hopefuls have made headlines recently and for totally different reasons. We'll examine each one and monitor the progress of recent developments in the upcoming presidential election. Meanwhile, President Trump continues to lash out at the media, but in a different way this time. He is blaming AT&T for their management of CNN, even though the communications giant has fired thousands of employees as a likely result of a prior tax bill that allowed them to gain $20 billion in their fourth quarter. We'll dig through what this means. Finally, hashtag release the JJ cut is trending on Twitter after anonymous Reddit user who claims to have worked closely on the production of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is reporting that Disney executives altered The Rise of Skywalker to be different from what director JJ Abrams planned to release. Would Abrams' reported version be better for Disney? And what was their motive in changing the film at the last minute? We'll answer all that and more on episode number 116 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. It's episode number 116, 204 p.m. right now as we are on the air and broadcasting live and uh, also recording for us on the podcast. There is so much to talk about today. Try and make it uh, not too long of an episode. Approximately 30 minutes is what I've planned in my elaborate show notes here for this <laughs> this episode. Uh, but before we actually get into what I want to talk about uh, in the episode today, I do want to uh, sort of briefly talk about some new things I'm going to try out in uh, in 2020. I don't know how long it will last, at least this first one, which is all about video promos. Now, uh, I... You, these promos that you hear at the beginning of the episode, it's sort of like an introduction to what you are hearing in what, what you're what I'm going to talk about in this episode, what I'm going to share my opinions on in this episode, and it sort of offers a, a preview into what I'm going to uh, talk about in the podcast episode. But I think uh, maybe it would be useful to have video graphics and sort of um, uh, animation, animation shorts on YouTube uh, that briefly explain what I'm going to talk about and uh, offer sort of a visual component to these um, brief introductions. So I'm going to try it out for this one. I think if it uh, proves to be successful and there's support from uh, the listeners, then we will continue to do. Or I will continue to do that, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, I just thought that was an interesting idea that I've sort of seen things, and um, I thought maybe that would be interesting to do. Also. Uh, on the website, j-story.com, which I highly, highly recommend that you go to, uh, and if you go to the JD Media Network and then you click on the J-Dory Podcast, you will see that we have new thumbnails and new graphics on the site for each episode. So instead of doing sort of a mesh of images that I make in Photoshop, I'm creating a custom graphic with uh, text, different backgrounds, and sort of a uh, usual design that I'm going to use, but that still offers a lot of customization just so I can, so it, it remains very consistent and it looks very nice. So that's what I'm doing new in 2020. I've sort of updated some previous ones, and I'm, of course, going to continue to do all of that uh, in the future as well. Uh, and then also, uh, I know I don't talk about this enough. I know, like, I need to talk about it a lot more. But where you can subscribe to this podcast, basically, this podcast is available uh, almost anywhere that you possibly could imagine. Um, it, there's an uh, Amazon Echo skill. You can listen to it on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, um, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, um, uh, Breaker. I mean, there's so many places you could basically listen anywhere, and I highly recommend uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, 
all those places. I, I highly recommend you subscribe to the podcast there uh, if you like what you hear and such. And I barely talk about that. I, I know it's sort of unbecoming to talk about it the first thing you listen to a podcast, but I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm rarely ever going to uh, ask for your consideration to subscribe to this podcast, but that's the one time I will do it, and off we go. Okay, let's start. 2020 land. Julian Castro quits the presidential race. Marion Williamson fired all of her staff, and there was a controversial video of Joe Biden that was edited to make it look like he was racist and promoting uh, almost white supremacy culture. But in, in, he's made many gaffes before in his speech that uh, were his fault. But this time, the fault was not to be blamed on him. But we'll first start with Julian Castro. So Julian Castro uh, said that it isn't our time. That was, that was the message of this video that he released saying that he is no longer going to be in the race for president. He is suspending his campaign. And uh, he it was a four-minute video. And basically, uh, he recapped for the first three minutes about what he's going to do, um, what he's done in his campaign, and how he's going to continue to fight and maybe endorse someone in the future. Uh, but it, basically, the point of it was in this 16-second, 50-millisecond clip. But with only a month until the Iowa caucuses, and given the circumstances of this campaign season, I've determined that it simply isn't our time. So today, it's with a heavy heart and with profound gratitude that I will suspend my campaign for president. So that's what he did, and um, I, we, he hasn't endorsed anyone. He said he's going to continue to fight. Uh, and he's not the first one to do this, of course. There's many others uh, who, who have done it, and I'll talk about that in a second. But if you remember, I think the biggest breakthrough moment for Julian Castro was at that debate where he kind of got into a, uh, a one-minute and 12-second argument with the honorary Joseph R. Biden. Uh, you know, I grew up with a grandmother who had type 2 diabetes, and I watched her condition get worse and worse. Uh, but that whole time, she had Medicare. Uh, I want every single American family to have a strong Medicare plan available. And I would not require them to opt in. They would automatically be enrolled. They wouldn't have to buy in. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. They, he wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to That's buy Biden, in. You just said way. that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If she qualifies for Medicaid, Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? His his healthcare plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My healthcare plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. I'll be surprised to him. Andrew Yang. So that seems to be where where it leads off right there. But yeah, I mean, very very contentious uh, uh, sort of fight right there, uh, and that was at a recent debate. Uh, lots of people have dropped out of this presidential race, and there's still lots of people uh, that ha- that are still in it. There are 14 Democrats currently running, 14 Democrats that have dropped out, three Republicans running, and one Republican that dropped out. Steve Bullock, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Wayne Massam, Seth Moulton, um, Richard Ojeda, uh, who I, I, he didn't even make many headlines when he, when he recently, when he announced, um, Beto O'Rourke, uh, Tim Ryan, uh, Eric Swalwell, as well as Joe Sastak, uh, they have all dropped out of the presidential race that are Democrats, and then also the one Republican that dropped out was Mark 
Sanford, who uh, used to be a congressman in uh, in South Carolina. So, uh, very very interesting to see. Uh, Julian Castro was just another one to be to to um, uh, drop out. He um, ran a very interesting campaign. Uh, very left, obviously. I mean, he's he's a Democrat. He was very very. Uh, the mission, it seemed, at least from my perspective, in the times that I followed his campaign, was to uh, sort of. Uh, change the the platform of the Democratic Party to more accurately reflect the diversity that that it, it withholds um, that seemed to be basically what what the idea was and he also has a brother uh, Joaquin Castro who is currently uh, he, he's in yeah, he's definitely a house uh, representative and I think he represents uh, a district in Texas if I remember correctly and it looks like uh, yeah so uh, 20th congressional district since 2013. And uh, Julian Castro also served uh, as uh, United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under Barack Obama from 2014 to 2017, and he was the mayor of, before that, he was the mayor of San Antonio from 2009 to 2014, so he's certainly qualified, he said he's still going to fight, uh, but he said that is not his time. Very, very interesting there, um, and I'm... I'm Interesting to see what he what he goes next. He was he's very smart. He went to uh, fabulous schools, and he did very. I mean, he did pretty well in his campaign. He had a lot of supporters. He raised uh, about seven and a half million dollars uh, and uh, spent six point eight three million dollars. Uh, and yeah, he he did well. And uh, of course, it's very unfair that your intellect and your your skills versus the amount of money you raise do not correlate, uh, and, and that's just sort of how democracy works, I suppose. It's how good of an advertisement can you be, but there's no better way to do it. So, yeah, that that's that he's just sort of a victim of the perfect system we used use called democracy. Um, and that's sort of what, what we're looking at. I mean, monitoring other 2020 candidates, uh, the people that, and maybe the most surprising one on this top seven uh, Democratic uh, Q4, quarter four announcements for fundraising, Pete Buttigieg, he has constantly, constantly been top, top, top of the top three, top five uh, in all fundraising, even though, you know, he's not like a big name like Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren. He is just a mayor of a, of a small town in, in, um, in Indiana. And he's raised a lot of money very impressively. He He's very smart. He knows how to articulate his points. He came out super strong, and he's sort of just been carrying that, that uh, through continually. Uh, he's raised $24.7 million in the in the fourth quarter. Bernie Sanders, $34.5 million. Joe Biden, $22.7. Elizabeth Warren, $21.2. Yang, Andrew Yang, fifth one in the, the fourth quarter, $16.5 million. Amy Klobuchar, 11.4 million. Tulsi Gabbard, 3.4 million. And uh, <laughs> Donald Trump, 46 million. So, very, very, very uh, interesting numbers there. And we're going to continue to follow all those uh, all those numbers there uh, and, and all the rest. But uh, there's some people that don't even, that, are, that uh, choose not to even release these numbers. Uh, and those people did choose to do that. Uh, the other interesting thing that I saw, Marianne Williamson. She is a spiritual advisor. Uh, <laughs> she's running for president, and this again. I, I mean, I think she's a little bit uh, much different case than Julian Castro. Uh, but she fired every single person that worked for her campaign staff because she didn't want to quit. <laughs> she didn't want to look like I like a quitter. 
So basically, she's her only employee right now. There was a um, a tweet uh, written by uh, John Distasso, and, and it has uh, a, uh, a screenshot of an email. It says, Dear John, I'm extremely grateful for the contributions that poured into the campaign over the last two days of 2019. Uh, we've had a wonderful team, and I'm deeply grateful for their energy and talents, but as of today, we cannot afford a traditional campaign staff. Understandable. I am not suspending my candidacy. However, a campaign not having a huge war chest should not be what determines its fate. I agree with that. <laughs> like, she, how are you going to get social media? How are you going to, you know, to pay for travel? Who's going to organize your events? I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, I do this entire podcast by myself and everything. But there's, I mean, running for president and producing a podcast with, you know, a couple hundred listeners is a, is a lot different than running for president of the most powerful country in the world. So I don't know what she is sort of uh, thinking about when she says this stuff. Um, so she says that, I mean, there's many goals listed here in, in this, in this, uh, email, uh, because I'm talking about societal wellness in all its forms, including racial and economic justice, because I'm, uh, talking about our need to proactively wage peace and not endlessly prepare for war. All of these ideas, uh, that she's sort of, um, striving to, to, uh, uh deliver on in her campaign, were were listed in this in this email that she sent to her staff. She fired every single person that worked for her. So, uh, and it's not. I mean, she didn't have a ginormous staff. She had forty five people, which still, I mean, forty five uh, people. That, that's a lot of jobs that are lost, especially if they were dedicated. And of course, campaign jobs uh, are are very short lived if you don't win. Uh, so you know you know, they're, they're very short-lived, and, and I've, I've witnessed that many times before, but, um, you know, uh, just to fire someone, but selfishly be in it, I don't know about that, that seems a little bit different, in my opinion, but hey, I mean, she doesn't give up, yeah, she's still in there, I don't know how long she'll be in there for, we'll try and see, maybe we'll check back in two weeks and see if she's still in there, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what, what happens with that. Perhaps more interestingly, though, a video of Joe Biden was edited to make it appear as if he was making racist claims at a campaign event, and that video went viral. So he basically uh, said that he was almost endorsing um, uh, the idea that the United States, uh, the identity of the United States, the cultural identity of the United States is a result of uh, European um, sort of uh, immigrants and white European immigrants. There's no there's no idea that, you know, diversity is reflected in the culture of America, and it's almost like a, it's a very, very white supremacist type philosophy about um, what exactly happens in, in, in the, the culture shaped around American society and how, uh, you know, how that plays into the larger context of our history and on all these things. It's a very, very negative, very um, closed-minded sort of racist ideology, and Biden... Uh, did not make the mistake himself, although some guy edited it or cut out the last couple of seconds of it. And it's a 13-second clip that had about 2 million views on Twitter. And this is what it made him sound like. Uh, this is what he. This is the edited version of that clip. It sounds pretty bad, and then we'll play the actual version afterwards. Our culture, our culture 
It's not imported from some African nation or some Asian nation. It's our English jurisprudential culture, our European culture. And that's it. Now, that, that's the edited version. You can tell there that, I mean, he's basically, he's basically saying, this is our culture, our culture. It's our European culture. It's not some Asian culture. It's not some African culture. That is what he's saying there. That's what Joe Biden said uh, in the edited version. Now, the actual version has a couple of words at the end that are very important and also in the larger context make a lot more sense and sound a lot less racist. Our culture, our culture. It's not imported from some African nation or some Asian nation. It's our English jurisprudential culture, our European culture. It says it's all right. I'll end with this. So he's sort of saying that, no, he's he's criticizing the 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 European culture that has sort of been endorsed widely. He's not promoting it by any means. He, I mean, it's sort of ironic. He's criticizing the thing that these people are making him out to look like he he, he uh, endorsed. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's made a lot of gaffes before, as we've seen. Uh, and he has a very, I mean, he has a really interesting way of speaking when you, when you listen to these campaign events. That was at a one hour and ten minute event. And he takes these, just like his uh, former boss, Mr. Barack Hussein Obama, took very long, very, very long uh, pauses that sometimes leave it to be edited and such. Uh, and also, uh, every time the the audience that he is speaking to has any sort of uh, audible reaction to anything he says, he automatically defaults to, no, I'm serious, I'm serious. In fact, I was just watching a clip. Um, I think it's just a habit. I mean, it's nothing bad, but I'm just saying, he, he, I was just watching a clip where uh, he was talking about Betsy DeVos and in previous... Uh, uh, you know, people, the staff people that that uh, worked with him in the Obama administration, and he uh, basically, when he mentioned Betsy DeVos's name, the crowd went just, oh, oh, like, oh my God, there's she's so bad, and you know, and he's like, no, I'm serious, I'm serious, and it's not like they're laughing, it's not like they're doing anything. He just, whenever there's a audible reaction, no matter how positive or negative, he says, no, I'm serious, as if he has to prove his trust. I don't know, very, very interesting. Uh, and I think it's interesting how personality and speaking patterns play so much into politics these days. Uh, so yeah, Joe Biden, that's his campaign. That's where he's at right now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break on the Jay Doherty podcast. We're broadcasting live at 2.21 p.m. And this is episode number 116 of the Jay Doherty podcast. Next up, we're going to talk about Trump. He is lashing out at one of the biggest telecommunications giants in the world, when there's a big focus on a much larger nationally scaled issue that he's not giving it, and he's partly to blame for it. We'll go next and talk about that on the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast.
January Podcast, episode number uh, 116, Friday, January 3rd, 2019, 2.23 p.m. All right, thank you very much for listening. There is a big story. Actually, no, it's not a, it's not a big story at all. It's big in my mind, but it's not getting any publicity, and wrongly, in my humble opinion, uh, about uh, how Trump is attacking CNN and AT&T's management of them. Uh, for what they're doing and such. So, uh, in order to understand how big of a deal this is, and this is not, most people don't even understand really how this works, uh, and, uh, you know, the way media companies work, I, um, I find it really fascinating the way these media companies work and how few companies actually control the information that you receive, uh, and how you might not even know how large they are, um, and it's so incestuous the way that the these companies are arranged, and lots of it is for tax reasons, lots of it is for, uh, you know, so many other things. But anyway, uh, Time Warner is owned by AT and T. So AT and T is owned by Time Warner. Time Warner owns CNN, HBO, Time Magazine, Warner Bros, Warner Brothers Entertainment. Uh, you know, all the, uh, uh, I think s- some sort of way they're tied in with 20th, 20th Century Fox and in some sort of way, I mean, it's really complicated, uh, but anything where you see that huge Warner Bros. icon, they make that. They're owned, that's the same company as CNN at the end of the day. They're, they, at least they're owned by the same company. Same with HBO and Time Magazine. Uh, and, and the same thing goes for so many other companies. It's not just CNN. General Electric owns Comcast, which owns NBC and Universal per- Pictures and Focus Features. And um, Universal Studios is owned by uh, – uh, uh, owned by – let me just think here uh, – NBC, which is owned by General Electric. I mean, so it all comes back to that at the end of the day. And same with News Corp. They own uh, Fox, Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, and also The Wall Street Journal is tied into the, tied into the Dow Jones Industrial Average. <laughs> like, it gets very complicated. Same with Disney. I mean, Disney is a mega, 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 mega media company. They own ABC, ESPN, Pixar, part of Hulu, Star Wars, Miramax, and Marvel Studios. ABC News, all that stuff. They control it. And everything... Every product that they own is very cleverly interdependent on one another. Star Wars uses Lucasfilm's money, which is owned by Disney, of course, to make movies. Then they sell tickets to the theme parks by making, uh, or they, yeah, they sell tickets to the theme parks. And then at the theme parks, you buy toys. And then at the toys, you buy movies for tickets. And then you go watch about and learn more about Star Wars on ABC News. And then you want to watch sports. Oh, well, then you go to ESPN, which is owned by Disney. And then, oh, you want to change and you watch you want to watch another movie that's a little bit lighter than Star Wars? Then you go watch Pixar, and that's owned by Disney. So it's very, very, uh, they sort of trap you. Similarly, with Viacom, which is one of Disney's major competitors, they own MTV, Nickelodeon, Nick Jr., BET, CMT, and Paramount Pictures. CBS owns Showtime, Smithsonian, NFL.com, all the NFL streaming rights, Jeopardy, 60 Minutes. I mean, those are huge companies that own these things. And CBS is actually the one of the only ones that are at the the actual channel names that you see that you see. They're not they're not as deceptive as the other ones, and I only say this just to give context into basically those six companies, General Electric, News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS, they control all of the media, or at least 90% of what we read, watch, or listen to. 
um, and so and and so it's really really interesting uh, to see how it works. There's a very fascinating graphic over at uh, MorrisCreative.com, which I'll link on the show notes at j-doherty.com. For every one executive, there are 850,000 viewers and subscribers. 850,000. That's 232 media executives are controlling the information of 277 million Americans. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. In 1983, 90% of American media was owned by 50 companies. Now, at least as of 2011, and it shrunk a little bit now, and maybe it's grown, uh, it's sort of complicated within who's owned by who, and these are only the major owners of these companies. Uh, but as of 2011, it's owned by these six companies, and not much has changed. At least they haven't they haven't disposed of any of them. But, uh, you know, Time Warner owns uh, CNN, which is owned by AT&T. AT&T controls your phone. But, I mean, it's crazy, crazy. And they 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 control DirecTV. Uh, they control your internet. They control your phones. They control your landlines. They control your cellular usage. They control, I mean, they have your ISP. They have all these things. Crazy amounts of power. And they're a ginormous company. I think they have about 251,000 uh, employees. Uh Donald Trump, though, is lashing out at AT&T, which, again, as you can see in this hierarchical management type thing, very, very high up the line. Trump, at 7.46 on the New Year's Day, 7.46 p.m., says, Can't believe at AT&T keeps the management after yet another at CNN ratings dive. Nobody watching, no credibility. Maybe they should make changes at AT&T, question mark? So, I mean, it seems sort of... Random. I mean, of course, he's responding to new ratings that came out, uh, and the ratings, of course, have dropped at CNN. The CNN's ratings have been terrible, and Fox News is the is gaining and gaining and gaining. Fox News averaged 2.5 million viewers per night in 2019, the most in 23 in their 23 year history, making the network the most watched channel on basic cable, according to The Hill and uh, Nielsen Media Research. They beat out Fox News, ESPN, uh, each owned one, one of course, by uh, Viacom and the other one by Disney. CNN, out of all of these, which is considered to be the huge major news network, huge. I mean, it used to be the, the prime standard. They finished 22nd place with not even 1 million viewers on average per night. The top five shows in cable news for 2019 were uh, uh, Fox News' Hannity with 3.3 million, followed by, of course, Tucker Carlson shows with 3.1 million. Rachel Maddow was third with 2.78 million, followed by Fox's The Ingram Angle with Laura Ingram with 2.57 million, and The Five on Fox at 2.5 million. CBS took the top spot with the average of 7.14 million viewers in primetime, NBC with 6.33 at second, followed by ABC with 5.19 million. Fox, though, was fourth at 4.62 million, but it was the only broadcast network among the four to increase viewership overall in 2018. In that whole entire sentence, you don't hear anything about CNN. Now, Trump is attacking them for their ratings, 
Meanwhile, as a result of, at, at least in part, of a tax cut that he that, that he enacted, allowed them to lay off 33,000 jobs since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which saved it billions of dollars, was passed. Vox and Axios have done fabulous reporting about all of this. And... Um, the, it says, according to Axios that, Axios, that AT&T has expanded alliances, those are their words, with major outsourcing companies that have allowed it to shift jobs abroad and is on track to do more of it in 2020. The article says, according to the Communications Workers of America, which represents about 100,000, again, of, of 251,000, so that it's not even the majority of AT&T workers, AT&T has eliminated more than 33,000 jobs since this act was passed. Now, the spokesperson said, we're working to be more efficient in our operations. Corporate, corporate, corporate. Uh, and we'll learn more about how corporate companies allegedly ruin things when, um, you know, on the, at the last minute here. But uh, I just love how they cover up ruining 33,000 people's lives with saying that they're going to be efficient in their operations. I mean, it makes sense, of course. I mean, they have to do what is best for their money. And, and, and a big, uh, I think it's called Elliot, what is it called? Elliot something from... Uh, Elliott Management uh, is a huge, uh, 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 per, like a management company that's involved with AT&T. They own, I think they they uh, own a lot of the company or so, some sort of management role. They demanded that they have to um, make cuts to save money for the company. Uh, and this is just one of them and in large part came as a result of Donald Trump's tax uh, bills. And the proposals that he cut out. So it just sort of looks a little bit hypocritical, uh, you know, when <laughs> when 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 he goes out and, and, attack, and attacks their ratings when thousands of people, tens of thousands of people's uh, jobs have been lost as a result of policy that he put forth. So that's what it looks right there. I'm so fascinated with the media and and how these ratings work and so many other things. So it's just an interesting story that has literally gotten such so little attention, so little attention. And I sympathize with the thousands of people who have lost their jobs. It's really, really bad, and, and it's just bad that the president doesn't really seem to even care publicly. In fact, I think Vox and Axios reached out to the White House for a comment on this story. They declined the comment, basically said they don't care, but they reached out to AT&C and said that they're trying to be efficient in their operations. So, not good. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, the AT&T story with Vox and AT&T, CNN, Time Warner, uh, General Electric, Comcast, NBC, all these companies. They all own everything that we watch and listen to and everything that we do. <laughs> so... That's sort of what we're, what we're realizing here. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I just think it's so it's so interesting to see how these how these uh, companies are arranged and how there's so much supremacy within one single company. We're gonna talk about Star Wars. This anonymous Reddit user claims knowledge of a plot implemented by Disney at the last minute to improve or maybe uh, not improve. <laughs> Actually, it sounds very blatantly like it's they're 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 not improving the storyline of the rise of Skywalker, just to sell toys and to implement their corporate philosophies at the last minute. This is the Jade Ray Podcast.
2.37 p.m. on the Jade Rory Podcast, Friday, January 3rd, 2019. Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 116 of this fine uh, production. Uh, interesting news in Star Wars land. Uh, this guy, who's anonymous on Reddit, and we don't know if this is fully credible by any means. I This is all uh, unconfirmed by all standards. Uh, it seems generally pretty credible. I mean, they may be doing just a phenomenal job trolling everyone. But it's gone viral. It's trending on Twitter. The hashtag is release the JJ cut. Because there is, according to this guy, on r slash saltier than crate, he says that there were, that J.J. Abrams worked on a Rise of Skywalker film that was totally different than what the public saw. They basically claim that Disney, unbeknownst to J.J. Abrams, totally changed the movie at the end, like at the last minute, or at least to his knowledge at the last minute, to please shareholders, make money, and sell toys. Uh, it's very detailed, this this um, this report who claims, uh, the guy who wrote it claims that he has a source that works inside uh, the film and knows J.J. Abrams. So, uh, we'll see what, what this means. Basically, and we'll go through uh, many of the points here. Um, it says the leakers, and it's, it, I'll have a link at the, if you want to really read it, because I was shocked when I saw this. The leakers for The Rise of Skywalker had an agenda and are tied to Disney directly. My source confessed that they have an agenda as well and what they struggle uh, and, and that they struggle with ignoring what has been happening to some of the people who, uh, who they think doesn't deserve it. JJ always treated everyone on and offset with respect, so my source's agenda is what Disney has done to JJ and how much they screwed him over should be something that people are at least aware of whether you like him as a filmmaker or not. Disney was one of the studios who were in uh, that Bad Robot bidding war last year. Now, by the way, Bad Robot is the company that J.J. Uh, Abrams owns. It's his own personal production company. And basically, and this is really smart of J.J. Abrams, at least from my understanding, if you want to work with J.J. Abrams, you have to work with Bad Robot, meaning you have to sign his studio to work with you. You cannot just sign J.J. Abrams to work with you. Unlike Ryan Johnson, at least to my knowledge, Ryan Johnson, I think you could just hire him right and you know pay him for the movie outright which is a lot cheaper. Uh, and, you know, if you're, you're going to get similar services, why don't you just do that, right? I mean, that, that's how the, how the corporate uh, people like Kathleen Kennedy look at it. So, at least that's how I understand it. Um, Disney never had much interest in Bad Robot as a company, according to this, but they did in JJ because they saw, um, uh, they saw um, WB with who JJ went with in the end as a major threat. I don't know, I, uh, let's see, what is WB? Why can't I think of what WB is? Uh, oh boy, I don't know. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you're listening live and you're in the chat room, just tell me what WB is. I don't know why not, I, why I can't think of it. Um, JJ's very successful at bringing in franchises like Mission Impossible, Star Trek, and Star Wars. Uh, WB is struggling with DC, and aside from Wonder Woman, uh, DC is still seen as a bit of a joke in its current state by the GA. Um, blah, 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 this is all about sort of the idea, but basically what happens is, my source mentioned, and this is where it gets really interesting, my source mentioned this shortly after the premiere, the Rise of Skywalker we saw last night was not the Rise of Skywalker we thought we worked on. 
It says, JJ was devastated and blindsided by this. He'd been feeling down over the last six months because of some of the ridiculous demands Disney had changed in the movie's story. While the scenes were shot, a lot of changes were made in post-production, and the audio was re-recorded and altered. My source said that they'd never seen anything like this happen before. He's the director, and he wasn't in the know about what they were doing behind his back. Apparently, J.J. felt threatened over the month leading up to the premiere. Ryan Johnson, who directed The, uh, the Last Jedi, uh, never meant, was never meant to uh, direct Episode Nine, despite some rumors that he was. Uh, there was an original director uh, previously that um, was hired, or not hired, but in talks of hiring, and uh, he was let go, and J.J. Abrams was brought back in by uh, Bob Iger, not Kathleen Kennedy, according to this. Disney insisted on more fan service and less controversy, so that's why they felt it would be safe to uh, bring J.J. Abrams back. He directed The Force, of Wait Force Awakens, which got good reviews and did very well, so in order to not take any more risks, they're going to bring back J.J. Abrams. J.J.'s original agreement was, when he signed was uh, on indicating that he would have way more creative control than he did on The Force Awakens. It became evident that this wasn't the case only a couple of weeks into shooting when the trouble with meddling started. J.J. wanted to do some scenes that he thought were important, but Disney shut it down citing budgetary reasons. Of course. May of 2019, J.J. argued that those scenes were crucial. He had to let them go, uh, they had to let go of one of the scenes. The other scene he insisted on was approved at first. He did reshoots and additional photography in July. The noon scene was shot uh, in October. The ending that will blow your mind was a part of this. Now, of course, the ending that will blow your mind was a quote that he gave, or at least someone gave, in an interview uh, that, that sort of, he, he said, this ending is going to blow your mind, there's going to be so many things, it's going to be, you know, encapsulate the entire trilogy, the entire saga, for that matter, I mean, it's not the end of three movies, it's the end of nine movies, there's, of course, the originals and the prequels, now the sequels, J.J. Abrams is responsible for putting the cap, you know, closing the entire saga, something that's lived for 40 years, generated tens of billions of dollars, I mean, huge responsibility. Uh, the Force Ghosts were not meant to be voices at the end of the movie because they shot footage on camera. By the way, this the huge spoilers in this. Um, huge, huge spoilers. Uh, I probably should have said that. Maybe I'll edit it and put a, a huge spoiler warning in the beginning of this, but make sure that you... And I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so you, you can be safe about this, but this, there's no spoilers as of yet. Just, just so you know, spoilers ahead. The actors were in costumes. Rey was supposed to be surrounded by Force ghosts to serve as a sort of barrier between her and the Sith surrounding them. My source thinks, but one, can't 100% confirm, that this is because of China. It's like an office talk of sorts. Some visual effects people claim they ha got a list of approved sh uh, shades of blue they could use on the Luke Force ghost. Cutting this out was when uh, the bad blood turned into a nightmare for JJ because the movie was, he was making was suddenly unrecognizable to him in almost every way. I don't know what this is about China. I know they are sort of strict about certain uh, colors that they can use in, on the screen and how quickly they, they alter. You know, I know they've had a lot of issues with that previously. I'm not sure exactly what this means, but uh, it, that's what they say. I don't know. My source knows JJ well enough to know that he's not just the yelling type, but apparently in a meeting he yelled something along the lines of, why don't you just put directed and written by Lucasfilm then? My source wasn't present for that exchange, but knows some who were. Disney demanded that they shoot some scenes uh, that would have uh, had things in it for merchandise. They Fly Now is one of them. It's also JJ's least favorite scene, along with my least favorite scene. 
At a November screening of a two-hour and 37-minute cut, J.J. cringed, groaned, and laughed when the scene was on. And this is the scene that they've been promoting. In fact, J.J. Abrams went on Good Morning America, and they played this scene. And again, Good Morning America is on ABC, which is owned by Disney. They played this scene, and I don't know if it was just to rub it in his face and make him feel bad, but they forced him to have that They Fly Now line in because it's an easily marketable line, and you know you buy toys, and you click the guy for 20 bucks, and it says They Fly Now. Very easy, easy to say out of context, and you can play with it very easily, right? And they, again, I'm, I'm assuming this is credible. It may not be. My source says that J.J. was uh, most likely not joking when he said, you're right, in the interview where they asked him about the Rise of Skywalker criticism. J.J.'s original early November cut was three hours and two minutes long. The ending one, the one that they came out with, was about two hours and 20-something minutes long. In January, J.J. suggested that they turn this into two films. My source told me that uh, this well before Chris Terrio, who is another writer for the film, mentioned it in an interview a couple days ago. When Disney said no, J.J. was content with making this three hours long. Over a period of nine months, J.J. started realizing uh, that one by one, his ideas and whole scenes were being thrown out the window or entirely altered by people who have, quote, no business meddling with the creatives. And then he's quoting his source there, I assume. They were not on the same page when it came to creative decisions, and it became obvious that Disney had an agenda in addition to wanting to please shareholders. Disney could, quote, afford messing up Nine for the sake of the bigger picture when it came to protecting things unrelated to Nine, and likely probably, and that's the end of the quote there, but it's probably likely related to other things that they have in the works. There's supposedly, of course, the Mandalorian's out, but there's also supposedly many other Disney Plus uh, adventures that they are going to, uh, you know, create. There's supposedly a Darth Maul series in the works. They coming out with a new season of the Clone Wars. I saw in a recent promo. So, and they certainly have a large agenda just besides these movies. In fact, the next Star Wars movie isn't isn't uh, poised to be released until 2022, and that's a long time for a Star Wars movie. The cut J.J. eventually and hesitantly agreed to in early December was two hours and 37 minutes long. It wasn't the cut we saw, the public meeting, which he wouldn't have approved, which is two hours and 22 minutes long. Apart from the Force Ghosts, there were other crucial and emotional scenes missing. They cut the released look, chopped, and taped back together with weak scotch tape. That's what they said in J.J.'s words. The cut that they released was, it was chopped and taped back together with weak scotch tape. Okay, so this is where we really get into spoilers and specifics that this guy claims to have knowledge of. The movie opened with Ray's training. Now, in the real movie, just to remind you, hopefully you've seen it, uh, it opens with Kylo on Mustafar trying to find the Sith Wayfinder uh, and such. But anyway, and then, and then a couple minutes later, it goes into uh, Ray's training. Her first scene with Rose was shortly after Ray damaged BB-8 during the training. Rose made a silly joke about how Poe is going to kill her after damaging BB-8. There was a moment where Ray took a minute to process what just happened when she saw that vision during training. She looked distressed and worried. The next scene was a noise as the Falcon was landing and Ray runs over there. Those two women who kissed at the end were visible in this shot and they were holding hands. One of them ran towards the Falcon as it landed. The Kylo and Mustafar scene was two minutes longer originally. There was a moment where Kylo seemed a bit dizzy and his vision was shown as blurry for a second, almost as if had t- if uh, time half stopped while everyone in the background was slow-mo fighting. Kylo hears Vader's breathing, then shakes his head and time goes back to moving at a normal pace and he jumps right back into the battle, uh, which is the scene from the trailer where he knocks that guy down, uh, which did end up in the movie later. 
in that scene where Poe is jumping in light speed, some of the planet they they cut out some of the planets. Some of those planets were that were cut were Kashyyyk, Naboo, and Kamino. Now I don't know. See, this is where I get a little bit sketchy. So this this idea, I mean, Kashyyyk, Naboo, and Kamino are like the three most iconic prequel planets that you could think of. Um, and there's tons of nods to the prequels and and uh, the Clone Wars and the Rebel and Rebels and so many other things that are that are mentioned in this movie. So why would they cut out Kashyyyk, Naboo, and Kamino? I don't know about what that is. And um, there was an interview that I'm just thinking about now uh, with J.J. Abrams on Jimmy Kimmel where he said, where uh, Jimmy Kimmel asked him, what's the first word of the movie? And I can't remember what he said, and I, but it was right. It was, it, was, it was really the first scene of the movie, which is when Kylo is on uh, Exegol. Or no, um... Yeah, when when uh yeah when he's on Exegol after that that scene where there's no dialogue and he's on Mustafar finding the Sith Wayfinder, it's that scene that that he's referring to. And J.J. Abrams was correct. This article claims to say that the uh that the movie uh, was originally uh, started with Ray's training on uh, Octo or or Agent Kloss, Sorry. So, this is where it gets a little bit sketchy. J.J. Abrams knew somehow that the first word of the movie was whatever Palpatine said. He had the first line in the movie, or first word in the movie. So, that's where it gets a little bit uh, sketchy. The scene where the TIE Fighters are chasing them through the iceberg. These Those corridors were inspired by a video game J.J. used to play in the 90s called Rebel Soul 2. Um, Janna, that lady uh, who was also a stormtrooper and, and she escaped along with the other people in uh, where she was fighting, was confirmed to be Lando's daughter. Rey not only healed Kylo's face guard, but she killed Kylo and she healed Ben. Kylo ceased to exist when Rey healed him. My source mentioned that some people assume it was Han Solo who healed him, but that isn't true, and that wasn't Han Solo. That was Leia using her own memories as well as Ben's to create a physical manifestation of his own thoughts and to nudge him towards what he needed to do. That was her way of communicating that with him, and it wasn't possible without her dying in the process. She made the ultimate sacrifice for her son, and this flew over people's heads with the Disney cut. I don't know if it flew over people's heads. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I do think that it was intentional that, I mean, there's certainly, it did seem like they cut something out when Maz Kanata said, uh, Leia needs to do everything that she can to, to, to save her son. But, again, I don't know, I don't know if that's, that doesn't really seem like a leak, that just seems like maybe there was some added context to make the point a little bit more clear. The late November cut, which was the last cut that J.J. approved of, had scenes with Rose and Ray still. J.J. wanted to give her a more meaningful arc. Disney felt that, uh, that this was too risky too. My source mentioned that Chris Terrio said that this was because of Leia scenes, uh, but this is not. This is only partially true because she had four other scenes, including two with Ray and Daisy, that Leia was uh, not in. Finn wanting to tell Ray something was always meant to be his force sensitivity. In the three-hour cut, it's explicitly stated. There was a moment when Janna and he were running on top of that Star Destroyer, and Finn needed to unlock or move something, and when he force-moved it and acted surprised when it happened. This was replaced with a CGI'd BB-8 fixing whatever he needed to fix on there. So that's really interesting. If that's true, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's really crazy that they replaced, that they, like, overlaid a BB-8 fixing something instead of, uh, you know, Finn using the Force. 
Babu Frick was nearly cut because some executives at Disney thought he would be the new Jar Jar. They are really surprised that people loved him so much. I really like Babu Frick. He's he's a phenomenal character. He's it's 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 yeah, very well done on Babu Frick. He was JJ's idea and was created in collaboration with some artists and puppeteers. The personality was all JJ. There were a bunch of scenes where Ray and Kylo separately went through quiet moments of reflection to deal with what they thought they were going through. On her part, her going through the realization that there's something uh, sinister about her past, him going through the regret and remorse that he's trying to shut it down. Uh, My source said that Kylo's scenes were especially amazing because of Adam's performance and how he managed to portray that inner turmoil. It provided much more context and added deeper meaning to both his battle with Ray and the final redemption arc at the end. It didn't happen so suddenly, and it was more constructed than what we got. The Kylo Ray scene where he dies was at least four minutes longer with more dialogue. Ben was always supposed to die. Source added that uh, if he wasn't, then then there might have been an earlier draft in which uh, they haven't read. First draft that they that they read included Lando. Uh, the first few did not. The Raylo kiss and Ben's death was not a part of the reshoots. It was part of the re-editing. Even though the JJ, even the cut that JJ thought was coming out earlier this month had a longer version of this that scene uh, than what was shown in the theatrical cut. JJ was against the uh, Raylo kiss, which of course Ray and Kylo Ren. This was Disney's attempt to please both sides of the fandom. Uh. J.J. was not happy with where uh, The Last Jedi took the story, which is a well-known fact. Uh, the final result is a mix of that story and the story told by Disney and whoever uh, they tried to impress, certainly not the fans. J.J. is gutted over the final results. Uh, Star Wars means a lot to him. He had to sacrifice large chunks of the story in The Force Awakens, but he was promised more creative control in The Rise of Skywalker, and instead the leash they had him on was only tightened by time went, as time went by. A source said that uh, this was the, the friend uh, that this is the one franchise and the one piece of work that he didn't want to mess up, and instead it turned into his worst nightmare. When he found out that uh, he was blind, when he found this, uh, when he found out that he was blindsided with the cut they presented, uh, he said WTF when Kylo was fighting the Knights of Ren at the end of the Williams music that he used for uh, it and uh, was not wanted at all. He seemed to think it was out of place. JJ's cut still exists and quote unquote will always exist. We most likely will never see it unless someone quote unquote accidentally leaks it. Whoa. There's a cut out there that is better than the movie that we got. If you want to hear my full comprehensive review of The Rise of Skywalker, I highly recommend you listen to episode number 114 of the J. Doherty Podcast, which you can find at j-doherty.com slash jdpodcast. Uh, but there is a cut out there, according to this guy, and we don't know if it's credible or not, that says that, that, that J.J. made. That is different. According to another thing, that, that, um, that it says that the Force Ghosts, they had all video. It was not just audio. They were all in costume. They were all brought in. Qui-Gon Jinn, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, all of them. They were all brought in for this scene, and they didn't use the footage. What is that? I mean, that's like just such a stupid mistake. I don't. I mean, really, typical corporations, you know, the non-creatives meddling where they shouldn't be, assuming this is true. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to believe, but still. I mean, if this is all true, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ah, and it seems uh, if this is all true, the movie would have probably been a lot better. And I would not mind it being three hours long. I would actually be very happy with three hours, as long as it's quality. 
it's an interesting story. I know I did a lot of reading there and just interjected my opinions or injected my opinions uh, from time to time, but I don't know. Super interesting. We're going to continue to follow it, see if there actually is going to be a cut that is released of the final movie, and we'll bring it all to you right here on the Jay Doherty Podcast. This has been episode number 116 of the podcast. I highly recommend you subscribe to this podcast, or at least consider subscribing if you like what you hear. Uh, we're going to try and do a new episode every single week. And uh, we appreciate everyone's listenership. I'm very, very happy that uh, we've grown. And there's a lot of new things to come in 2020. We'll follow all of this stuff. Uh, and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, 312 is the studio line. Thank you very much for listening. It's episode number 116 of the Jade Doherty Podcast. Have a great day. The Jay Doherty Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by Jay Doherty. TJDP is voiced by Newsmic VoiceOver, hosted by Blueberry, and edited with Audition. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright Jay Doherty 2019. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for weekly discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast.